Very good. Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Second Corinthians chapter five. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for our time together tonight. I pray that you'd bless the effort to preach your word. I pray, Lord, that you'd use it to speak to our hearts. I pray that you would give me clarity of thought tonight. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. I know I have mentioned this in the past, but I'm going to mention it again this evening. And I don't know if this is the best order in which to say everything that I'm going to say it, but I think it doesn't really matter in the end as far as the order, so long as the thoughts are conveyed. But how many of us have ever had a conversation with someone we've never met before, and they felt the need to give you many of the details of their life? You ever been there? How many of us have ever tried our best to give attention to everything they are saying and to try to keep it straight, but it's just very difficult to do so? So how many of you ever found yourself just smiling and nodding, thinking to yourself, I really have no idea what they're talking about? You're trying to be polite, you're trying to be nice, but you're just saying, I cannot keep all this straight. It's clear to them, but it is somewhat confusing to us. Now, why do I mention that? Well, I mention that for this reason. This letter that Paul wrote to the believers of Corinth, I don't know about for you, I can only speak for myself, but this was a letter that no doubt would have been very clear in the mind of the Apostle Paul. It would have been very clear in the minds of the readers, the the recipients of this letter. But since we're only looking at a few verses of it at a time, once a week, sometimes with interruptions. I don't know if this is true of you, but it's true of me. I find myself struggling sometimes to keep all of it straight and to keep the flow of it going and the way that it's supposed to go. And so I don't know if this is going to seem like a disconnected thought this evening. I don't know if this is going to seem a a bit uh, just out of place or where is this really coming from. But you may remember two weeks ago we watched as Paul talked about the transition that he was looking forward to making from this life, the mortal life, into eternity, that being the immortal. And as he was anticipating that transition that he would make, it was in verses 9 and 10, that he talked about how he was mindful of the fact that one day he was going to stand before the Lord. And so that motivated him to try to live in such a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. And as we've talked about that and as we've discussed that and tried to give attention to it, we need to be reminded of this, that all this that we've looked at the last few weeks is in light of the fact that Paul's reputation and Paul's testimony has come under attack from those who are trying to undermine his ministry. And so you may remember that the Apostle Paul has spent time trying to defend himself, trying to reinforce the testimony that he had in the minds of the believers there in Corinth, and it was a justifiable effort on his part to defend his reputation, to defend his testimony. And we'll talk about that more in just a couple of moments, but I want us to be reminded of the context that everything that we have looked at up to this point, in a sense, ties back to this fact that Paul is trying to remind them 
of his testimony, of his reputation, of his credibility, because that was a part of the foundation of the health of the church. So with that in mind, I want to share a story with you. I want to share just a quick story with you that will hopefully lead us to the text in a couple of moments and and give us something to think about as we're dismissed tonight. But how many of you have ever been in a store, and as you were about to pay, the person at the register asked for your email address? You ever been there? And you know what they're wanting to do. They're wanting to get your information in their database so that you can sign up or so that they can send you things, rather, their advertisements, their marketing, in hopes of getting you back into the store. And if you've ever been in a situation like that, you've probably heard people say things like this, well, we have a rewards program for every dollar you spend, you get this, and once you reach this, you get that, and whatever it may be. Familiar with a scenario like that? Okay. So at some point in my past, I don't know when this happened, but I must have been in Sears. And so at some point, I must have given them my email address, and whatever their rewards program is, I must have signed up for it, because this week I got an email that said this. I had $34 worth of store credit in my Sears account. So guess what I did? I went to the Sears website, and I began looking for things I might be able to buy for less than $34. As I went to their website, I clicked on the tools category. From there, I went to the automotive department because I'm such a mechanic. And so as I went to the automotive department, I began looking at floor jacks because I thought it might be fun to have a floor jack. Didn't know how much they cost. I looked at the prices, realized $34 wasn't going to cut it. So I exited out of the website, and I continued on in my daily routine. So help me, guess what I got in about 10 minutes? An email from Sears. And you know what it was entitled? Items you might be interested in. And I clicked on it just out of curiosity, and you know what it was? It was the very floor jacks that I had just looked at maybe 10 minutes earlier on their website. Now, keep in mind, I had not filled out any kind of information saying I'm looking at your floor jacks and I'd, I'd like to hear back from somebody. Could you please have somebody contact me about this? No, I just went to the page. I just looked at it. I just scrolled through it real quick. Didn't click on any of them in particular. And within 10 minutes, they were soliciting me in relation to their website and the page I had visited. Now, I'll be honest with you. I don't understand how that works. I know there's something telling the computers this, that, and the other things. But whenever I saw that, here's what I thought to myself. I don't like that. That's just me personally. I don't like Sears knowing that I went to their website and looked at floor jacks and 10 minutes later they're trying to sell those to me. But it got me to thinking about this. How much information is there out there about me? Here's what I reminded myself of and here's what you already know. Those little cell phones that we carry, 
You know what that does? It lets us be tracked every place we go. Every text message we send, every phone call we make, they can pretty much pinpoint from where it originated and to where it went, the duration of it. It's pretty amazing how much information they can gather from those little phones that we carry. Again, you know this, that if they so chose, which they would never do this, but if they so chose, they can tap into those cameras and monitor what the people are doing through the cameras of our phones. I don't know about you, but I'm not crazy about that. Got to thinking about this. Every time I make a purchase with my credit card, they know exactly where I was, exactly what I purchased, and they know down to the exact second in which my card was swiped. And then a week and a half, two weeks ago, I was watching a lecture. It was being given at Google by one of the top individuals of the FBI as it relates to the fraud department. And you know what he said? He said, if you own, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, because I don't understand this, but he said, if you own a smart TV, even the remotes to our TVs give out signals that can be translated by the government that lets them know things like what we're watching, what we're surfing on our televisions by way of YouTube or whatever else we might access on our televisions. Even the remotes to our TVs are feeding information to some source out there. So it doesn't matter if it's my email, if it's my cell phone, if it's my credit card, or my TV remote. There is so much information out there about me, it's overwhelming. Here's what I concluded about myself, and it's true of you whether you realize it or not. But if the government wanted to, what you would discover very quickly is this, is that you have no secrets. We may think we have secrets, but we don't. Now, again, from a personal standpoint, I'm not comfortable with that. But the only thing that makes me feel a little bit better about the situation is this. If the government's listening, I want them to know this. The only thing that makes me feel better about the situation is this, is that I've got nothing to hide. I'm not involved in any kind of terrorist groups. I'm not involved in any kind of money laundering or anything of that nature. So I'm thankful that I don't have anything to hide because if I wanted to, I wouldn't be able to. But you know who really doesn't enjoy all this information available to the government? It's obviously the ones who are trying to dodge the government. The ones who have got something to hide, they don't want the government to know about it. And yet the reality is this, is probably if they want to, the government already knows everything they think they're hiding. It's just a matter of whether or not they're interested in it. Now, why mention that? Well, keep in mind, as we come to the chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, in verse number 10, Paul said this, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
and everyone may, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, verse 11 very much ties in to verse number 10. So he says in verse number 11, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. What does it mean whenever Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord? Well, he is talking about having an understanding of the fear of God or what the the reality of God should do in a person by stirring up a healthy measure of fear. I've said before, I think you agree with me, all of us would be of this opinion that it does us good to have a healthy dose of fear of who God is. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to walk in fear. But for us to be reminded of who God is, that is a good thing to somewhat fear him. But he says, knowing therefore or understanding the terror or the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. So what does it mean whenever he says that he is persuading men? Well, there are a couple of different schools of thought on this. I think they agree with one another, though they are separate. I think primarily what the Apostle Paul is communicating is this, is that in light of the judgment of Christ, what he is trying to do in his ministry is persuade men of the reality of that occasion that this is going to one day happen because just as would be true in our day, it would have been true in their day that there would have been those who doubted that they would ever stand before this being called God. And so here would be the Apostle Paul and his ministry and his efforts and his travels, everything that he engaged in, there he would be in the presence of maybe the doubters or the skeptics or the scoffers, and he was trying to convince them somewhat through the fear of the Lord that they would one day stand before God. Now the other school of thought, or that some people hold to, is this, is that the Apostle Paul was trying to persuade or to convince men of his authenticity, of his apostleship, of of his credibility. And again, while that seems separate, it is also very much in agreement with the first part of it, because if Paul was not able to persuade people of his credibility of apostleship, then he would have no influence whatsoever of convincing them or ability to convince them of the judgment one day that would take place by God. You realize this, right? That if Paul was not able to convince someone of the scriptural, biblical authority that he had in his life to preach what he was preaching, then people would never buy into the message that he was delivering that one day they would stand before God. And so here is Paul just simply saying in light of verse 10, knowing this, understanding this, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Now look in the last part of the verse, okay? Again, Paul writing to a familiar group of people, people who knew him very well, and again, him with them, He said, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. And I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. What does it mean when something is made manifest? It means this, it's made known. It is something that has been realized. So Paul says, I trust also... That I, he is what he is talking about himself, 
that he has been made known that this has been recognized or realized of himself in their consciences or in their hearts and minds, Paul is saying, I trust that with you, you know fully who I am. Why is that important? Because his testimony was under attack. If the people of Corinth began believing what they were being told about the ministry of the Apostle Paul, it would completely undermine everything that he had accomplished there through the power of God. So he is saying, I trust, I believe that who I am has been made manifest in your hearts and minds. I want to stop here for just a moment and just say this just for sake of clarification or explanation that it ought to be understood in the minds of people exactly who we are. We understand this, that people ought to know who we are for this reason. Should our testimony ever come under attack, they would know that there was no legitimacy to the, the, the statements being made against us. If our integrity was coming under attack, if our, if our walk with the Lord was coming under attack, it ought to be so established and so made known in the consciences of other people that they would not believe what was said of us. Now, friends, that's not always the case. Sometimes you hear things said of other people, and as much as you would like to not believe it, you can't help but wonder if there is some truth to it. Because it's not exactly been made known and realized and recognized who the person really is. So here is Paul. This is what I'm about, he says, with the terror of the Lord, understanding that we are persuading, we are seeking to convince men and women of the judgment of God that will one day take place, he says, I trust also are made manifest or made known in your consciences. But notice what he said before that, right there in the middle of the verse. He says, but we are made manifest unto God. We are made manifest unto God. What does it mean to be made manifest? It means to be made known, right? Right? For it to be recognized as to who you are and what you are, for it to be realized who you are. So here is Paul writing of this transition into glory that he will one day be making. He talks about how they will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ at some point. And he says, understanding this, therefore, the terror of the Lord we seek to persuade or to convince men of the reality of this. But he says, but we are made manifest unto God. What does that mean? It means this, God already knows who we are. God already knows who we are. Now think about this. In line of verse number 10, he says, we'll stand before the Lord... But verse 11 says he already knows who we are. See, verse number 10 lets us know that what we have been, Paul says, will be revealed. 
But it's not as though what is said in verse number 10 is going to be, going to be an exploratory experiment where God is trying to figure out what we've been and God is trying to figure out how we lived our lives and God is trying to conclude how our days came to a close. Listen, all verse number 10 shows us is it's going to be revealed, it is going to be made public, or it's going to be made known, I guess, for everyone to see. But in verse number 11, Paul is not speaking of a future tense. He is speaking of a present tense. He says, we are made manifest already unto God. So in light of the upcoming appearance before the Lord, Paul says, here's what I know. Who I am is already known before God. So you know what Paul is saying? I have no secrets when it comes to God. God already knows everything about me that he could possibly know about me. So it's kind of like my relationship with the website and with the government and what they're able to find out about me. Truth be told, I really don't have any secrets with our government and those who might want to find out what I'm really like. Well, friends, the same would be even more true as it relates to my relationship with God. There is nothing that God does not already know about me. Current situation, present tense. So what does that mean? Well, it means exactly what we probably think it does. God knows everything I've ever done. Now just think about that. I don't know where the warehouse is of data storage, though I know that's not really how it takes place. But I don't know how all this is kept straight. But from the day I was born to this present moment, God knows everything I've done. So do you realize what that means? I'm sure you do, but think about it. That means God knows everything you've done this week. Everything? Yes, everything. He knows everything you've done this week. He knows everything you've done in the last two weeks. He knows everything you've done in the last month. God knows because God sees. God's aware. So God knows everything we've done. Why? Because we're no different than the Apostle Paul. We are already made manifest unto God. So not only does God see everything we do, let's just continue down the road of the obvious. God hears everything we say. He hears everything we say. So he's heard how you have interacted with your family this week. He's heard how you've interacted with co-workers this week. He's heard how you've interacted with people that your paths had to cross for whatever reason. God has heard every word that's come out of our mouth. Every single 
word. Because we are already made known unto him. So God sees everything that we do. God hears everything that we say. And I know we know this, but it's important. God deciphers every thought we think. Every thought we think, every thought that we dwell upon, every thought that we give our minds to, every thought that we dwell upon, God is capable of deciphering that. So Paul is saying, understanding that we'll stand before the Lord one day and we'll receive those things done in the body... He says, I'm persuading, understanding the terror of the Lord. I'm trying to persuade men of this reality. I trust that you know who I am. But Paul says, I know this for sure. God knows who I am. And I have no secrets with God. What I've done, what I've said, what I've thought, Every bit of it is known of him. Let me ask you something. If you really think about that, how many of us would say something like this? I'm not overly comfortable with that reality. Would we ever have to say that? I mean, I would. Why are we sometimes not too excited about that reality? Because if we're honest, we know where we struggle. You know, just like I don't want certain entities to be able to know everything about me, there are times in my spiritual life I wish God didn't know everything about me. You don't have to sit here and acknowledge anything tonight. I'm just saying sometimes I do some things that I'm not real proud of, and I'd like to think that somehow that one went unnoticed. But guess what? It didn't go unnoticed. Now, friends, this isn't a threat. This is just the reality of it. I'm not trying to scare any of us. I'm not trying to say, you terrible, terrible, wicked person. I'm just saying this is the reality of it. Whenever we do something that we would like to think went unnoticed, you know what we need to be reminded of? It didn't go unnoticed. Because we're already known before God. I'm not always comfortable with this reality. Because sometimes the words that come out of my mouth are not always the most gracious words seasoned in the way that they ought to be seasoned. Sometimes I'm I'm just not polite. Sometimes I'm just not kind. Sometimes, as I've said before, my words are harsh. And, And looking back on it, I think, Man, why did I say that? Why did I express myself that way? And, and, and the reality, whenever it hits me, that the Lord was aware of that, I'm just saying to myself, I don't always enjoy being reminded that God heard it. I just don't. 
And probably if you were honest, you shouldn't always be excited that he heard everything that came out of your mouth. And sometimes I'm not comfortable with his awareness of what's going on in my life because sometimes I'm capable of keeping from saying what I'm dwelling upon in my mind, but I know what's in my mind isn't what I ought to be dwelling upon. Sometimes I let my mind go places it doesn't need to go. Whether it be doubts, whether it be fears, whether it be speculations, whether it be worry, whether it be whatever it is, I let my mind go places I ought not let it go. Maybe my attitude, maybe my spirit, whatever it is, if I dwell upon that and it's wrong, I'd I'd like to think that somehow that one got by God, but it didn't. Paul just says in the midst of defending his reputation, in the midst of defending his testimony, listen, I trust you know what kind of person I've been in your presence, but this I know for sure, God already knows exactly who I am. And I need to be reminded tonight that God knows exactly who I am. Because he sees, he hears, And he can decipher. And it's as true of you as it is of me. Now as we think on that, and I say things like this, well, I'm not comfortable with this, I don't like it. Isn't it easy sometimes to dwell upon it from the negative standpoint? It is easy to dwell upon it sometimes from a negative standpoint. It's sometimes much easier to preach from the negative side of things because sometimes we do need the reminder that God saw it, that God heard it, that God deciphered it. We do need that reminder. But, you know, this really isn't that bad of a truth if we don't have anything to hide. You realize this? You know, if if what I'm doing isn't wrong then I'm not worried about what God is seeing of my life. If what I'm doing, if what I'm looking at, if what I'm listening to, if there's nothing wrong with it, then then I don't have to be worried that he's going to find some dirt on me. So this isn't all negative. Sometimes it's very encouraging to know that if nobody else saw us do right, God saw us do right. I don't have to go around telling everybody, I did right, I did good. Did you see that? Did you notice that? Would would you like to hear about how good I am? Listen, I don't have to worry about that because if I'm doing what is right, then it's rewarding and it's encouraging to know that God saw that and I can be grateful that God is going to reward me one day according to the right deeds, whether you or anyone else ever sees it. So that's encouraging. This truth doesn't bother me if I'm not talking in ways I ought not be talking. Like if I'm nice. If I'm polite. If I'm encouraging. If I'm helpful with the words that I speak. Then this doesn't have to scare me. This doesn't have to be one of those truths that I dread. Does God hear me if I blow it? Yes, God hears me if I blow it, but God also hears me if I get it right. 
in the way that I interact with people. And it's also good to know this, and I know you see where this is headed, but it's good to know this, that since God knows everything about me and I have no secrets with Him, whenever I keep my thoughts in line, I control the ones that I ought not be having and I choose to think on what I ought to be thinking on, it's encouraging to me to know that God sees that. God knows with, with what's going on in my life what I choose to dwell upon, and, and He knows if I take the road of maturity and dwell on the positives and the blessings and the benefits, or if I allow myself to get into the negative humdrum, into the rut or the ditch of life. But if I choose to do right in my thoughts, God sees that and deciphers that as well. The only thing or the only reason that this verse ought to concern us is if we are living in a way that we know is not right. Now, I, I know what all of us would say because we're the Wednesday night crowd. I know what we would say. Oh, well, good. I don't have anything to worry about because I'm just, man, I'm fantastic. I'm great, and, and, and I've got it all together. And, and you may. And take courage that, that God sees all that and take heart that God knows you're nailing it. But for the rest of us, it's just one of those healthy reminders. God knows everything. And I know it somewhat ties back into last week's message. But don't let it scare you as much as we let it motivate us. Not if you know what's going on, God, but since you know what is going on. God, help me to do what would be pleasing in your sight. Whether anyone else sees it or not. God, help me to say what needs to be said in each situation of life. Whether anyone else knows I've said what needed to be said or not, let it serve as a motivation to you. Whenever Satan is trying to get into your mind and get your thoughts going in a direction they don't need to go, use that as a motivation to say, God, you know what is going on in my mind right now. And rather than letting Satan defeat me in my mind, God, I want to be victorious in my thought process. Use that as a source of motivation because we'll stand before the Lord and none of it will be discovered at that moment. It will simply be revealed. And how wonderful it'll be if we can get to the point where we remember He's already aware. And I just need to live in light of that. So I don't know where you would fall on this issue tonight. I don't know if you'd say, well, man, that's kind of discouraging, and I don't like that. Or if you might say, well, man, that's encouraging, and, and that just encourages me to keep it up. I, I don't know which side of the, the fence you would fall on today. All I would say is this, is let it encourage you to do what's right, to say what you ought to say, to think how you ought to think, knowing that God is aware of who we are when no one else may be. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer.
Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to be reminded just of the factual aspect of this truth, Lord, that we are known before you. And Lord, this is really only discouraging to us if we know we have things that we'd rather not be known. Lord, I don't know where anyone's at tonight, strictly between you and them. But Lord, whatever we may need, I pray that you'd show it to us tonight and that you'd help us. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.